Jim Perkins, and uh, he is a living legend. I've got to sit under his uh, teaching in person a few times in my life. He is a hero to me in the faith, and I just don't know of a story that better takes us where God's taken us. God has been doing work in our church, if you don't know. He's been doing work in this series. He's been doing work in my heart in this series, and we're going to end our Just As series today, and we're going to end it by... um, hearing from, from Mr. Perkins, Dr. Perkins, I should say. And before that video, I just want to give a warning uh, out of courtesy. Um, the, he does use the N-word in this video. Um, in the context that he uses it, we're at peace with showing that, but uh, you may not be. So I wanted to give you that warning up front. So I just want you to lean in, let God begin to speak to your heart uh, through his story, and then I'll come up after this video. Check it out. I think as a little boy, we wasn't as conscious as you would think of the depths of racism and think I wanted to be a Western cowboy and to get out of uh, uh, Mississippi. The idea is that you had to go somewhere to be something. You lived in the South. We climbed with my brother. He was the oldest that did the plowing. And then when the war came, World War II, he was old enough to go in the military. He had got into some trouble with a white man who became the mayor. But when he came out of service, he was in a theater with his girlfriend. He was targeted, profiled, the policeman. Well, he came up behind him and hit him with a club. And so he just saw of spin around. Think of a, a military guy just getting out of service, being hit on the back of the head. And the guy stepped back and shot him two times in the stomach. And he died, went to the hospital, and I was in the car with him. This is where my kids went. This is where they went to school at. I was a very young child, but in the South, it was still segregated within a desegregated school. On the playground, they played on one side, we played on another side. Spencer and them used to say, nigger was our first name and nigger was our last name, you know? There was a lot that was going on during that time. Uh, We lived in a constant state of of fear. There were men who um, guarded our house every night because of Ku Klux Klan. They were locking blacks was up in jail and beating them, and they had locked one up in jail because he had uh, called and asked a white girl for uh, a date. This is now in 1970. That Saturday night, we thought that they were going to beat him up. And so we came up to jail to make sure they didn't do it. And they was in jail. That was the jail that we were locked up in for the first time here in Mendenhall. And the protest fighting came out of that. I talked to the people from the jail cell. I, I told them that uh, uh, this was an opportunity for us to not turn back. This might be the opportunity for we becoming free people. 
and let's bind together and let's boycott this town and let's do what needs to be done. That's when all of the, the, the black faces came together. That's when what you might call the Mendenhall Uprising started. What's the point of protesting? I think it's the body reaction to oppression. The march went to enforce the boycott. That was the method. This is where the march would go in the streets for, and the white folk would come to see us march, but really to, to yell at us. Us writing 14 uh, demands, getting po black policemen doing this, integrating the schools, integrating the uh, shops, and it was based on those demands that the civil rights movement responded. In the end, all of those demands were met. I believe love and justice is one and the same. Justice was the motivation for God's redemption. I should never have gone, but I didn't realize the, the depth of the hatred whenever someone in the would get arrested in the pursuit of their civil rights. And it was like 19 students going back to Jackson, and they stopped those students and arrested them. And when I came up to get them out, and they came out to arrest me, and they started beating us in the parking lot, the sheriff said, this is another ball game. You're not in Mendenhall. And boy, he clubbed me. And then they started. It was savage. Uh, I thought they was going to kill me. They wanted to really kick you in your private part. They took forks and tried to stick them down your nose. A steel ball on the hand of a, on a if it finally breaks your inside, then it made me mop up my own blood. The brutality, the pain. There's, a, there's almost a memory of dying. You can kill people easier when you can, when you take their humanity away. The beating was designed to stop the boycott. They done a county that was more oppressive, that was led by the by a, a sheriff there who was a Ku Klux Klan. Boy, I saw the ugliness of hatred. I said, what if I had an atomic hand grenade, I would release it and kill me and all the people in there. I discovered that I hated them back, and I hated them as bad as they hated me. Then I saw I was a bigot too. And I said, Lord, if I get out of this jail alive, I want to preach a gospel that is strong enough to destroy some of this madness this hatred.
I didn't want no white folks around me, but they was all around. One of my doctors was white. He would come and sit with me every night at the hospital until I go to sleep, every night. And that broke me, that, that I was out loved by those people I needed to hate. If you don't forgive, you saw the pains of others as well as your own pains. I've come to the place now that I see humanity as broken equally. We need to try to turn uh, this into a language of love. Uh, we need to turn it into beauty. It might be harder to look as compassionate on the broken as you do on the well healed. And compassion is an action word. Uh, when Jesus said he had compassion on them, they're going to be healed. Yeah, I think it's very easy in a racialized society to react. And, and our reaction would be just as bad as the initial uh, action in most cases. Whatever it is, we got it together because that's the nature of the problem. The nature of the problem is that we're divided. If you, if you would just decide to get together, the kids, and throw them out there, white, black, Jew, and Gentile together, they would have a good game. they play a good game without us. We gotta do it together. The responsibility has gotta be ours. I think I'm learning something, even right now. The redemptiveness that is in Christ. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. That is, uh, I, I want you to see that for several reasons. One, I just believe John Perkins, John M. Perkins, if you want to check more about him out. I just think he's a national treasure. Um, there's a lot of history being written and rewritten, and the truth is that Jesus was smack dab in the middle of the civil rights movement, and we don't have many voices left that lived through that. Uh, he's still uh, alive and, and doing racial reconciliation-centered ministry. He's, I think he's 91 years old, um, and he's just a, a gift to the multi-ethnic church. He's been a gift to my ministry, um, so that's a win. But also, um, kind of leaving off where a little bit what we talked about last week, to make sure we're, we're, we, we talked a lot last week about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, um, and the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And his life is such a testimony to that, right? He spent his whole life fighting oppression. There's nothing in the gospel and forgiveness that invites you to be, that invites you to be a doormat. He has received forgiveness and given forgiveness in incredible circumstances and yet continued to fight for justice. Those things go together. They're not in opposition to each other. And then third, I wanted you to see that because 
he hits on something that we haven't talked about very much in this series, and, and, we, um, and that is the blessing of forgiveness. Right? We talked about last week how forgiveness is an act of worship. First and foremost, it is an act of worship. It's between you and God. That is true, and it will always be true. We talked last week about it's not a feeling, it's a choice. And those are, those are still true this Sunday like they were last. But in addition to that, we cannot go through a as series based on the verse, hey, we forgive others just as in Christ God forgave us without talking about the gift of forgiveness and how it's not just worship, it's not just you know, a choice, but it's a blessing to your own soul. And the opposite is true. It does damage, unforgiveness damage. And we, we trust scripture. If, you, if you're new with us, we say this a lot. We don't believe that scripture came from the mind of man and it's, man, it's man's best guess about who he thinks it is. We believe that scripture's source of scripture is God, that God used flawed men to reveal himself with the power of the Holy Spirit through scripture that we can still trust and lean on today. So when we read scripture, we're reading God revealing himself to us. So, so we trust that, and we don't need culture to stamp or to approve that. But it is encouraging to some of our, our new folks, maybe our new Christians, when, when culture backs up what Scripture said 2,000 years ago. It's great. And, and if you Google or go to uh, something like Psychology Today, it's a secular uh, you know, media. Uh, it's not built on Jesus or the gospel. I don't know what they believe. It's psychology, and there's all kinds of research, secular, without Jesus involved, that have done studies and analytics and data and statistics over years following people. You know what they found? They found that people that don't forgive die younger than people that do. Like, go read it for yourself. Nothing, there's, God's not even mentioned. It's just the reality that our bodies, our physical bodies are not meant to carry this bitterness that can build when we don't forgive. A few weeks ago, we looked at this scripture from Ephesians. It said, be angry and don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. We focus on the urgency of the church where peacekeepers, like we protect and guard and work on the unity. So we talked about that, but we didn't focus much on those last few words and give no opportunity to the devil. Evidently, like he just goes from, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right to, hey, and don't get, and those things are connected. There's an implication, it's not just here, it's throughout scripture. There's an implication that when we don't forgive, we open ourselves up to the enemy. We give opportunity. The enemy works in our unforgiveness. You know that? Listen, we've been talking for years, and specifically in this series, we keep talking about, I'm receiving this forgiveness. It's the gospel. You know, we're a gospel-centered church, so this incredible news of our rescue and adoption, that I would be and adopted by God, that's between me and him. He offers his grace. He's relentless with his love. He keeps coming with it, right? So with me and God, and this whole series is about, if I receive that from God, it's going to flow through me to others. It's not like, hey, I want that forgiveness, and now I'm going to withhold it from you. No, there's three entities involved. There's my God. There's me and there's you. So I'm going to receive forgiveness. And if you said, I've received this forgiveness, then the people in your life, the people that don't deserve it are going to be recipients of that grace that you've been given. It's God, it's me, it's you. But we haven't talked about there's a fourth entity involved. There's God, there's me, there's the people in my life, and there's an enemy. Right? And, and sometimes when we talk about 
Satan or the devil, and we know what Halloween looks like, and it's all these characters and all these jokes and all these, you know, it just becomes silly. And, and I think there's a lot of folks, some here today, that if you go through like the mental, like, where am I at with God? I think there is a God I, I, I'm, I'm working through. Do I want to follow him? Um, I, I believe in me. I believe that other people. But when you get to the enemy, you get real uncomfortable. Either you don't believe that there is one or you're just uncomfortable thinking about it because it scares you. And, and that's damaging, right? You've acknowledged there's four entities at play in life, but specifically in forgiveness. There's God, there's you, there's people in your life, and there is an enemy that hates you. That's real. You can't pick it. I want to believe in a loving, merciful God, um, but you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable. Like that, you don't get, if it's true, it's true, and if it's not, it's not. And if God revealed himself through scripture over and over, he wants us to know that there is a force to pray against what he calls the spiritual forces of evil. He tells us over and over again, your battle is not against your neighbor. Your battle is against your, your human enemy. Your battle is not against any flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness that exist. Some of you have got to open your eyes that there's an enemy that hates you, and he's thrilled if you don't believe in him. He does his best work when you don't believe that he exists. And scripture tells us that when we don't deal with our anger, when we don't forgive, we open the door. We give opportunity to the essence, the epitome of evil, this powerful, deceptive evil captured in the essence of this entity known as Satan or the devil. We open a back door and leave it unlocked and invite him into our lives, our hearts, our family, relationships, our church through unforgiveness. When you don't forgive your enemy, when you don't forgive somebody, your enemy who hates you gets an opportunity into your heart. So what we're talking about as we leave this series is not just a prayer of forgiveness, although that's beautiful. Some of you last week, and I don't know half of what God did, but some of you Maybe online, I know some of you in this room, prayer that was freeing and that was monumental to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it, but in your worship of God, you forgave for the first time. Right? That's beautiful and powerful, and we want to do that. But as we leave this series as a church, we've got to live this. It is a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time deal. Let me, let me prove it this way. This is not brag right? Just be real with me. I'm not, just be real. Raise your hand. If we went to your house today and we went into your closet, raise your hand. If your closet is clean, I'm not saying spotless, but your closet is clean. Things are where they should be. Clean closet people. Wow. They're all over here. Some of you don't know which side to sit on. And we got some temperature issues. If you haven't noticed, and there's a different temperature. Now we know if you clean your closet, you're over here, and there's like two of you that need to come over because the rest of you, here, I struggle, right? I just got in this little, you know, few days off this week with Thanksgiving. I got my closet finally clean. Here's what I know about you guys. You clean closet folks, right? You don't wait till Thanksgiving, right? Maybe I just caught you a week, you cleaned it, and you got to raise your hand. Yes, right? Most likely, there's a process. Clean closet people, when the clothes come out of the dryer, they go ahead and hang them up or fold them and put them where they go, right? They, they just keep it clean. Not that it's never not perfect, but for the most part, they have a process that keeps it clean continually. 
That's what God's calling us to. Right? Some of us are still stuck on transaction. You, you want to do with God what you do at the drive-thru. Right? All right, God, I get it. I got to forgive some people. You forgive me, I'll forgive them. No, it's, it's not transactional. It's transformational. He doesn't want the quit. He wants to process. He wants to walk with you. He wants to help you figure out, hey, my heart, I noticed something in my heart towards my brother, towards my sister, towards somebody I'm not even talking to, but there's something in me, and I don't want to give an opportunity to the devil, so I want a lifestyle of cleaning my own heart. How do you clean it out. It's a constant. What do I need to let go of? And I know, I know some of you let go of some things last week that God's been working on for decades, and that's beautiful. And I would love to be able to tell you, now you don't have to worry about that, right? And you don't have to worry about that, but there's going to be other things. Somebody's going to offend you again. Somebody's going to hurt you in the future. It's not all over. And now you're and you're armed to not carry that and let it beat you down. It's a lifestyle of not carrying grudges. Here's a crazy example. Paul wrote, Paul in in scripture, who was uh, not a believer. Paul, like some of you, thought it was a joke and a crock. He thought Christianity was offensive to God. Jesus knocked on the door of his heart. He answered. He became this crazy church planter missionary. He wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. He wrote a church, multi-ethnic church, who had some issues. I don't even have time to get into it. We're going to do a series in 2022, get into some of the sexual stuff and culture, and, and we got nothing on what was going down. So this church in Corinth was trying to out, and they had issues that are just, whatever you can imagine, it's worse. Paul's writing to them. Not about that. In chapter 11, this is a second letter to the church in Corinth. And something down, as you can see here, verse five, he says, now, if anyone has caused pain, he's not caused it. uh, He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. Paul's just saying, hey, when somebody hurts one of us, it's all of us. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be bound with excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Let's stop there. Paul's being real vague. Sometimes he's real clear. Sometimes he's, something went down here. Somebody hurt somebody. And now, and and it maybe concerned Paul. And and they've acted some sort of discipline or church punishment or whatever. And Paul's saying, okay, we got to make sure, we got to make sure this person is loved and comforted because he might be overwhelmed. So this is, this is specific. I want you to love him. He makes that case in verse 10, next verse. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Here's our key verse. Why? Why forgiveness? Verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Somebody did something. In the church, somebody, you think we're, we're going to be the first church in history where somebody doesn't do something awful to somebody else? No, we're not. We haven't moved, right? We're a people, real church, working through it. In Corinth, somebody did something that needed forgiveness, and it was big enough for Paul to write about it in a letter to the church powered by the Holy Spirit. And in that, he said, so we got the bottom line, so we don't get outwitted. So we don't get outsmarted. So we don't get deceived by Satan because you think it's between you and them. It's not. By, by not forgiving whoever, you're opening the door. Years ago, my kids were younger, we, we played checkers, and I could always just not think. 
domination. I don't, I don't believe in like letting kids win because they're little, right? We don't, we don't do that. That way, if they ever beat me in anything, which my kids have never beat me in anything ever, not sports, I'm, I'm lying about that. All right, but when they, when they have beat me and when they do beat me in things, they, not, they know it's not because, you know, it's making them feel better about themselves, right? They've got to earn it, right? So checkers, I would just, you know, king me, double them, boom, like wipe them off the maps, like go pray, study harder. I don't know, maybe play your mom because she'll be nicer about it. But I'm, so eventually I started playing checkers and all of a sudden I lost a few games and I had to like, wow, this is different now. I got to think through this, right? And I'm not even get to chess. Uh, Kim's husband, Kim was up here. Kim's husband, O'Neal, he's always asking around the church, like, hey, do you play, play chess? And I know, like, most of the moves, but when someone asks, hey, do you play chess? I already know they're out of my league, right? He's going to dominate. Like, if you're asking if anybody plays chess, I'm not ready to play you. That's a completely different thinking game. But even in checkers, with my kids, it evolved from, man, I, don't, I can be watching TV and just, right, to, oh, my goodness. If I don't think through my moves, I'm going to lose, or some of your understanding of what God did for you, and he did do that for you. He did rescue you, and if he hasn't rescued, he wants to rescue you today. He wants to adopt you into his family. And then some of us just go on autopilot. We don't have a healthy respect as an enemy who's deceptive, and we just can't push stuff around and think it's going to go. It's not. Some of you are like, man, my life is so torn up, but where's this God? This God who wants to be interactive with you, he wants to be transformative, he's not transitional. He wants you to think and depend, and he wants you to understand that you can't just make light decisions in life and think everything's going to work out. There's an enemy who wants to destroy you. We forgive because we believe in a good God, but also in an enemy who wants to outwit us, and every day and every decision is a battle for our mind. That's why we sing what we sing. That's why we're in the word, not on Sunday, only Monday, Tuesday. We need the alive, real Jesus interacting, helping us not get deceived and outwitted. Something happens. I can't even explain it. Scripture is real clear, but I'm telling you from my own life, from Scripture, from your life, from the church's life, something happens inside of me when I don't forgive. Something in my heart, something nasty, something dangerous happens when I don't forgive. Here's how we're closing this series. I want you to unpack this statement with me. We must begin to see our lack of forgiveness as an enemy of our mental health and in opposition to our own joy and peace. Some of you got to get fired up about forgiveness Right? Not about, well, I'm not happy forgiving this person. I'm not asking you to be happy. God's not asking you to be happy. He's asking you to worship him. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. But in that, right, there's so much buzzwords now with mental health. We did a whole series on that in January. We're in that. God is for your mental health. You need to understand this is not some you know, distant fringe piece of your mental health. You want to protect your mental health? You got to forgive. This is, this, is, this is protecting your own heart. This is, we must begin to see when we don't forgive, our lack of forgiveness, that's an enemy. That's, I'm, I'm working against myself, this joy and this peace that we sing about and talk about. It's not a Christmas thing for us. It's an every day, a joy and peace that nobody can take away. If you're not experiencing that, right, it's not because Jesus has is, is left you. It's because you got to step and sometimes step to him. And sometimes the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
If the joy of the Lord what strengthens me, well, I don't feel the joy and the peace. Well, how, how are you going to have the joy of the Lord as your strength when the joy of the Lord is I am loved, I am accepted, I am forgiven, I am free, I, I, am, I am everything he says I am, all that he's my father, I'm his son. I, the joy of the Lord is my strength because I've been forgiven and cleared. I am righteous according to him like we sang. All of that is true except I'm not going to forgive my brother. The joy of the Lord can't be your strength because the joy of the Lord is, is built on what he's done for you. And if you want to withhold what he's done for you from others, man, everything goes south. When we don't forgive, we make joy and peace elusive instead of the consistent God wants it to be for our lives. We're like, Pastor, how? How in the world can I forgive? Like, you don't know. I don't know. That's one of the reasons I played Dr. Perkins' story because that's crazy that he can say just... How God helped like, take the hatred away of people, in my view, deserve to be hated. But the gospel doesn't allow for that. And the way that you'll forgive and that we're going to forgive as a church is the same way that John Perkins did and the same way that everybody who forgives. It's through the power of Jesus in us. He gives us the strength to forgive. And in a series on forgiveness, when we got to take a second and and let you be real with yourself as far as have you been forgiven? Right, Jesus came for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one son. Right, so what needs to happen for forgiveness has happened and it's happened for you. You're invited into this. But you have a role right, to receive that forgiveness. It's the best gift as we get into start thinking about gifts, right? Some of you were out there in the madness. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's November. I ain't thinking about gifts, right? As we get into the season of gift giving, the most amazing gift in the history of mankind was given. But you, how do you open it? You open it in faith. You open it by believing and trusting. Not just believing, believing and trusting. God doesn't want transaction. Hey, say this, now you're a Christian, you can go about your life. That's garbage, right? What God invites you is a following, trusting, surrendering, submissive relationship where you are following him as your master, Lord, Savior, and Father. How do you get it? You decide that you believe that he came, he died for your sins, you trust that he died for your sins on the cross, that he defeated death and rose, that he will make you righteous through his righteousness, that you can be forgiven, that he can look at you and not see the worst, the rebellion, where you've fallen short like we all have, that he has removed that through Jesus. You trust in that. You give him your past. You give him your sins, but you also give him your future. You give him your life. And in that process, in your faith, you are forgiven. Like that's... Every Sunday, like we, we go back here and we pray with the worship team. And, it's, you know, some, some Sundays stuff goes wrong. Some Sundays are harder than others. But the, but the underneath of this church and a whole lot of churches around the globe, the same thing every Sunday, every day, every Tuesday. Today, again, the God of the universe has freed me from my sin. That's why we worship. That's why we get out of bed. That's why we clap. That's why we show up. That's why we live and love and forgive. It's all, it's true again today. I can't get over it that there's a God in heaven that knows every thought, every nasty, stupid, horrible indeed I've done in my 45 years. He knows every single thing. And he looks at me and bursts with love. 
Every day that's true, and it's real. I can taste it and feel it, and that love is changing me day by day. I'm not done. I'm in process like everybody But that forgiveness, have you received it? I'm not asking if you believe in God, because believing in God doesn't equal forgiveness. I'm asking if you've trusted him, surrendered your life to him. If not, forget forgiving other people. You need to surrender your heart and life to Jesus be baptized in this beautiful connection, and then Jesus will power you to forgive those that he would call you to forgive in your life. I want to share one more story, and it's from Scripture, but we're not going to look at it on the screen. I just want to tell it to you because it's crazy. I don't know if I've ever preached about it in my whole life. But Paul, who we talked about a second ago, he's a big deal. And, And Paul would go on these missionary journeys. It's all about taking this gospel. It's crazy, right? We're so moved, but, but you imagine 15, 20 years after Jesus, people had heard of Jesus, or maybe this guy died, but, but there's no social media, right? There's no internet, so it's all word of mouth. So he would go to these, some Jewish, some Gentile, some pagan, a lot mixed company. He would, there was no church, right? He would go to Crabtree Mall. Like he would go to those kind of places, and he's preaching the gospel, and people hated him, and people attacked him, and people that had never heard about Jesus sat there, heard this strange guy preaching, and felt something, and decided to give their life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, there was a church, talk about church planning, first day, we all heard Paul talking at Crabtree. Now we're all gathered at this house for the first Sunday of this new church, and we're not supposed to get along ethnically or generationally or, or Gentile Jew. They had all those issues, and that became the beginning of a movement continuing today, this gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement. It's amazing. Well, Paul, on one of those journeys, he takes his man Barnabas, right? Um, probably Probably his friends called him Barney, but I don't know that for sure. So Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was older. He's kind of a, 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 not a father figure, but he was older than Paul, and they were just tight, and they would go on these journeys. Well, they took a dude, a younger dude named John Mark. Most people called him Mark. And they went on this journey, uh, this missionary journey, and we don't know the details. And I'm like, give me more. But in, in, this is all in the, in the book of Acts. They're on a missionary, so it'd be like, you know, we sent a group to Honduras, and we'll send more groups to Honduras. We partner. I know a lot of you are, are, are every month, man, it's so beautiful to know 50, I think it's over 60 now. It's in La Ceiba, Honduras. Are, their whole life is changed by relentless people. So we got 60 kids who are sponsored. We send people there. We got a trip canceled because of the pandemic. We're looking to figure out when we can get back in. But when we, when we go, like we're sending people on a mission, that's a little bit how it was. Well, they're on a mission trip to this city that you never heard of that I can't pronounce, Pamphlia, or something. I'm scared to say that for some reason. And John Mark bolts. And, and Luke, who writes Acts, Luke doesn't tell us why. But unless you're like, if you go on a mission trip to Honduras with Relentless Church, and you're three days in, and you're like, guys, this isn't for me, I'm out, that's a problem. Like, we raised money, we prayed you out, we supported, and it was a problem. And again, there's a lot of people that, that guess about, speculate why John Mark left Paul and Barnabas on this missionary trip. A lot of people think it's because they saw Paul and how he was ministering to the Gentiles, and the Jewishness of John's like, that's not okay. And, and he was like, I gotta get out of here. We don't know that for sure. We just know he dipped, he left, he goes back to Jerusalem in the middle of the missionary journey, okay? Fast forward. They're getting ready to take, they're all back, and they're getting ready to take another missionary journey. And Barnabas says, man, 
This is in Acts 15. He says, man, I, I know, but John Mark, like he's ready. And Paul says, no. Paul, who wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else says, no, no, no. He deserted us. We're not taking John Mark. And this is where I, I believe scripture. I believe all that I told you. It is from God. We lose a little bit because it wasn't written in English. Written in Greek, Acts was. And we translate this word that I can't pronounce in Greek, and we translate it into English. And the way it'll read in your, in your Bible in English was that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. And that's not really what it was. If you go to the Greek, there's violence in that word. Like here is like two of the forefathers. Like they were leaders, elders, pioneers, everything. Like this is like John Perkins kind of live life, put their life on the line for Jesus. And they don't just get into it. No, I think, I think John Mark should go. No, I don't think. No, they get into violent outbursts, sharp, intense I not taking that dude. Barb's like, you got to take that dude. The gospel, like he'll do better. And Paul refuses. And there's no reconciliation. Paul's like, forget it. I'll take Silas. Some of you know, in America, people name their kids after Silas. What did he do in the Bible? He was Paul's second choice. <laughs> Just kidding, Silas. You did more than that. He takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. God, who's always working, even in our junk, since two missionary journeys instead of one. But the godfather, some pastors call Paul, like he refused to take a dude because he disappointed him. And we don't know the details. Why would Luke, writing the story of the early church, why include that? Like somebody, it had to be the Holy Spirit because if you're writing a testimony about Jesus in the early church, you're not gonna include the part where Paul refuses to take John Mark. Mark. John Mark is known as Mark. He wrote Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Same Mark. He wrote the gospel of Mark. You're not going to let us in. <laughs> Ugly. It'd be better if like they had an argument and then they hugged it out the next day and they, you know, that's beautiful. Like put that in. But that's it. They had this sharp agreement. They go their separate ways. That's it. You think... Relentless church in 2021, multi-ethnic church in America with all of our humanity, all of our issues. I know what I'm carrying around here. I don't know about you. You think we're going to get through this without some disagreements? Some of you are still looking for a church with no flaws. Have fun with that. We're admitting, we're just trying to empower ourselves and it gives me some hope. One, that scripture is real and it's not doctored. They give us so much ugliness in scripture, which tells me it's real, right? I, that encourages me. So that these two leaders couldn't figure it out. And there was sin in that. Like, I don't know, because Luke doesn't like say, Paul was right, he just gives it to us. There was sin in that. No, there, there had to be. They go their separate ways. We think... 12, 15, 20 years later. Paul is, he's been in prison a lot, but now he's in a dungeon and he knows like his execution date is around the corner. It's the end of his life. And he writes a letter to his young protege, Timothy. We read his, his first and second Timothy. These this is the second letter. And it's his dying wishes. And he asks for five things in this last little paragraph. And here, I'll put this on the screen. Second Timothy 4.11. He says, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. 
for ministry. We don't get anything between, I'm not taking him, give me Silas, and on my deathbed, please get Mark here. There was a beautiful reconciliation that scripture does not give us the details of. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't storybook. It wasn't something you could put in a cute little five-minute trail. It was a lifestyle of submitting to God and knowing the God of the universe and the spirit of Jesus is going to bring me back to my brother. And I'm going to have to swallow my pride. I'm going to have to humble myself. And it sounds like that was one of the most beautiful relationships at the end of Paul's life. There is beauty. It's not just a cute phrase. It's scriptural. It's true. There is beauty in ashes. God doesn't always, like sometimes we got to let people go. We talked about it last week, but man, God work through this principle, this idea that's wrapped up in our scripture that we've been talking about now for a month. Let me show it to you one more time. Be kind and compassionate to one another. I don't think Paul or Barnabas, like I'm kind of leaning with Barnabas. Nobody asked me, but I feel like Barnabas was more right than Paul. Like you can't give up on a guy because he, he left you. But Paul was like, he wasn't messing around. We got work to do. My life is short. He was forever focused. We got to get to these cities. We got to share the gospel. And I'm not taking a dude I can't count on. I get that too. Kind and compassionate. But somebody was in the wrong and they chose not to work it out. They chose just to leave it. And I've been there. And you, it's easier just to walk. Have you been there? I don't want to go through the work of repairing relationship. I did 20% of the wrong. They did 80. I'm going to wait till they apologize for their 80 before I'm going to come with my 20. That's fine. And that's human. And that's easier. But that's not Jesus. Be kind and compassionate to one another. What does that look like? A lot of things. But specifically, forgiving one another. What kind of forgiveness we've been talking about? Just ask forgiveness. Man, that's hard. That's impossible on your own strength. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And the negative way to look at today's message is, if I don't do that, I'm going to die sooner and I'm going to live a more miserable life. Let's spin it to the positive. If I do believe and trust in doubt, it's not only worship, it's not only a beautiful testimony. It's also good for my soul. It's also cleaning and cleansing for my soul. Don't you want to live this short life clean and free from the grudges and the bitterness that'll weigh you down and mess you up? We do as a church, and we're praying you do as well. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray this whole just as thing over us as a church, and then I'm going to give you a quick announcement as you go. Uh, Father, we, we are so thankful in this, in this week where we stop as a, as a culture and just thank you. We have so much to be thankful for. Specifically here in this room, in this church, we are so blessed to be in this space, uh, to the beautiful way that you brought us to this building from the theater, all the mess that this pandemic would have been if we were still at the theater. God, you, you are good in the details. You're so good in the prayers you're answering, the prayers you have answered, the people you've brought, even, even the folks you've brought into our midst in the last few months, the people that maybe are here today for the technology that's allowed us to, to still reach some people that are high risk. God, you're, you're so good mainly because your fitness is real and true again today. And God, may what we have received from you 
change this city, change this county, change this state. What the, the, the ridiculous, relentless love that we have tasted and known, may that just pour and spill out everybody in our workplace, in our schools, in our dorms, in our relationships. And God, may we be a church that knows how to deal when stuff goes sideways. It will. If Paul and Barnabas couldn't figure it out, God, we're going to struggle. Would we always return to kind, compassionate, just as forgiveness? And may we work and seek reconciliation. And may we believe that there's an enemy that is and help us not open the door of our hearts to all the junk he wants to do in and around us. May we choose forgiveness as a church, as a people. And God, if there's anyone hearing this today or anyone hearing this in a few days that has never received your forgiveness, that has never surrendered their life to you, God, would you meet them where they are and give them faith and strength to trust you with their life once and for all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before, before you go, um, we're gonna continue just to celebrate all God's done in this series, but next week starts a new series. So if, if you're new to us, you might not know how we do December. Uh, as a gift to our work so hard every week, the, the Sunday after Christmas, there are no services. So don't come here. You'll be all by yourself. So we have three Sundays left in 2021, and that'll be our Christmas series that starts next week. Um, we're calling it Here We Come, which I'm pretty, that's pretty bold, right? Here We Come. We'll explain all that next week. You're welcome to bring somebody with you um, as we start that. So same time, one service, 10, 15, three weeks and then we take a week off, and then we'll be in 2022. So be excited about our Christmas series. I know I am. Be excited about the Panthers today. Keep pounding, and have a great week.